Hi, this is Bobby Corella. Skin Wade is my best friend in the whole wide world, and you are listening to Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak. The ceiling is the roof. It is Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak. I hope you're having a fantastic Saturday. We got the corner three coming up here in an hour with me and Katya, but first, we got a very special guest in Studio 41 from The Athletic, the host of the 77 Minutes podcast. It is the father of Mavs Twitter, the man who set off a global firestorm just about one year ago, the great Tim Cato. I think I've set off a lot of firestorms. That's probably the number one, but you know, if you do a little power ranking of all the moments, too many. Oh, you've gone viral, man. I like to think of myself as the fun uncle of Mavs Twitter. Mm, okay. I don't think I am, but I like to think of myself as one. Do you think as you're, what, a couple years younger than me, are we like, are we old and washed, or are we still in the prime? What, what like percentage of people that consume Mavs stuff are younger than us? I think a lot, and I still think we're young, but I think we're young and washed. Okay. Yeah. So then can you be, if you're young, are you an uncle, or are we like, a, like an older cousin? Um, I, I just, I think uncle, in this context, it's, you know, it's an energy you, you provide. It's mm. not about age. Okay. It's about what you represent, what you mean. Gotcha. And okay. I, that's what I try to be every day. So if you're the uncle, does that make Dwayne the father of Mavs Twitter or Eddie? Oh, or man. Or Brad? Brad, is, Brad Townsend has big dad energy on Twitter. He's got granddad. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that respectfully. Like, again, this is energy. This is not about age. It's about the energy you provide. Mm, yeah. And, and I, think, I think Brad gives the, you kids, we had it better back in our day. Oh, yeah. And Dwayne gives the, you know, he's just telling stories. Mm. So he's, he, you know, he's like the, the, the wise uncle. Yeah, Dwayne is also uncle after yeah. like one eggnog. Kind of, you know, <laughs> he's just, he's kicked back. He's got nothing to lose. And you just gave him eggnog, but uh, yeah. somehow something else slipped in there. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, so for this first segment, we're going to talk about some uh, more like big picture stuff. And then in the second segment coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about some more specific players, more specific uh, themes and ideas and things like that. Uh, but first, Tim, have you played Pokemon Scarlet or Violet? Or are you, are you waiting to see like if there's any DLC? Like, What's your plan? What's your timetable with this game? I have not played Pokemon since Pokemon Emerald. That's too bad, Tim. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on to basketball then. I thought you were going to ask me to compare each player well, to I had, Pokemon. Well, uh, I'm going to have to scrap my... I have a whole dock. But I'm going to oh, have wow. to go to my backup dock now because it just really threw out all my ideas. So I appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about the Mavs. This is season overall. Um, I don't know what happened against the Bucks last night, whether it was a win or loss. We were recording this on Friday afternoon. And so maybe the Mavs are riding high on a four-game win streak. Maybe they just lost. But we want to keep this as big picture as possible. And so, you know, think long and hard about these questions, but I kind of do want like your snap reaction. So like your middle, your middle snap reaction. Maybe yeah, not what, your what, first what, instinct, what, but like definitely your second instinct. What you're saying is two completely contrasting things. But Just follow me. I will do the best I can, Bobby. Okay. As I always do. How about this? Give me your first best reaction. To the season as a whole. No, to each of my questions. Oh, okay. But thinking of the season as a whole and keeping that in mind. Okay, I can do that. Seems easy enough, right? Uh, okay, so what has been 
before the season, I, I should reset this. Before the season on the athletic, you wrote kind of like your it was like three or four different kinds of outcomes for the team. Like the best case scenario, kind of like the most realistic scenario, and then kind of like what's the worst that it could be, barring some sort of unforeseen disaster. Um, and so there was quite a bit of forecasting. And so if you want to reference that, uh, you can. If you want to just go clean slate, you can too. But what is the biggest positive aspect or element about this team that you did see coming or that you thought you saw coming back in September? That Luka Doncic would be this good. That he would be, he would come into the season in shape. That he would just be an MVP level player, the type of player we're accustomed to seeing him be for the second half of seasons, for now two seasons in a row. That he would be that guy from the very first moment. And I, we've seen that. You know, this is a guy who, in another context, with a few more wins, and I think we both know there's easily a few more wins that could have gone the Mavericks' way this season. He would be the MVP front runner. And he's very clearly in that discussion. You know, uh, you know, there's no qualifiers needed. He's it's the only thing holding him back would be record at this point, right? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I would say that. You know, unless he's, you know, maybe he'll continue averaging 36 points. You know, bump his scoring average up a few more points, and you know, really ask hard questions of people who are like, well, there are only two wins over 500. But yeah, no, he's been that good. He's been the best player in the world. Um, you know, you can argue that a little bit, but it's a very reasonable thing to say about him and how good he's played. And that's what I expected coming into this year. And he has delivered as much, if not more so, than I think most of us anticipated he would. Do you think that they did finally win a game whenever he, he didn't get to 30 points? He had 22 points in that game in Denver on the second night of a back-to-back, and they won. Um, their most impressive win the, of the season. Yeah, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, but they did. Uh, they, they did get that win. A lot, a lot of guys with beards on this team, so they have plenty of hair to scrape by. But before that, they were 0-5 when he didn't score 30. And so are they, is, are they still too dependent on him, or now that other guys are kind of heating up, do you feel like that, that might not be the case anymore? I think this is going to lead into your next question. But okay. I will say that this team, the other thing I thought about this team coming into the season is that they, were, they had a lot of continuity from the team that went to the conference finals. And... We saw that team. We know they can win. They, we know that they can beat the best teams in the league. And it hasn't been as consistent this year that they've been able to do that. But we've seen that this ceiling of this team, when Luka Doncic is your best player and you put some competent role players around him, uh, and those role players have been more and more competent as the season has gone on, yeah, there's very little that holds them back from beating anyone. doesn't mean that they're not going to also lose to some teams that you think they should be beating. Or it doesn't mean that they will occasionally play a Boston and you will see a level of talent disparity. But they have beat the best teams in the league. And I think after what they did last season and the fact that they brought back this team with the continuity that they did, that's not a big surprise to me. Okay. Um, What is the biggest this wouldn't be a surprise, but just the biggest negative about this team that you saw coming. Is it too Luka dependent or is it, because that's kind of ties into the positive or is it something else? Well, so I think the Luka dependency that the Dallas Mavericks have is the dependency on Luka uh, for his needing his teammates to be good as kind of extensions of himself. When you have a player like Luka who is, you know, he's not just a 33-point scorer. 33 points won't win you a basketball game. He is the entire offense. And 
the shots that he sets up, the opportunities he creates for his teammates are ones, you know, that are solely him, you know, like something like, you know, two thirds of this offense effectively comes through him statistically. And really, if you just consider the amount of defensive attention and pressure that he generates on a nightly basis, it's, you know, far more than that. When he's on the court, everything that the Mavericks are doing offensively uh, runs through him, at least from the sense that defenses are queuing in on him and, you know, paying attention to him and sending doubles at him. Maybe he passes out of the double and, you know, the, the role players on the other side of the court do some, you know, nice one-two passing. And so, okay, sure, he's not getting an assist for that. But of course, his influence is what allows that to happen. And I think that what we've seen and what I expected, what I worried about coming into the season, is that having that much dependency on the role players to act as um, you know, proxies for what Luka can do, that some nights they're just not up for it. And lately it's been better. Um, again, we don't know what's going to happen in the Friday game. But you know, lately it's been better. But we've also seen stretches where this team, uh, where the role players struggle. And... I think that was the concern I had coming into this season that, you know, there is really only one other ball handler, one other shot creator on this roster. And, um, you know, that has had an effect on all the other role players around them just having to rely so heavily on Luca and, and sometimes just not being up for it. Especially whenever he's getting double teamed. I mean, the, those first few games whenever teams really started trapping him, you think of like the second. The first Denver game they did, and the Mavs dominated them. But the next Denver game, and then that Toronto game, the Toronto game was not the one have that the really answer. stood out. Yeah, they just didn't have the answer, especially in the fourth quarter. Right. You know, you had like Maxi or Dorian having to make decisions, and not Luca or Dinwiddie, and that is not a good situation to be in. Yeah the the end of it was the end of the Toronto game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was the one where Luca gets doubled. It's a it's a one point game. It's a it's a one basket game, and the role players turn it over and. That is, to me, very indicative of where this team is going to run into problems and will continue running into problems, even though they're in a good stretch of games. I think that both of these teams is the Mavericks and that we're going to see both of them as the season progresses, a high ceiling, a low floor. They are kind of make or miss. They're, they're like the embodiment of make or miss, I think. Yeah, and I've said this a lot, that this, this, this is a team that relies on three-point variants. And Luca is the best three-point shot creator in the league. Would you agree with me there? Uh, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, unless you just count Steph by virtue of just being on the floor, but the Steph isn't actually setting those shots up. He's just being out. Yeah, there. it depends on the definition, but but there's zero question that what Luca does to find the right passes to open players, always knowing where that open player is going to be, and then being able to execute that. He does that better than anybody else in the league. But that makes the team all of a sudden very dependent on the idea that shots are going to have to go down. And, you know, it's, it's true. You know, this is the team that takes the highest share of three-pointers in the league, um, or at least that's true as, as of a couple of days ago. Uh, there's only other, two other teams even in their universe when it comes to that. And those two teams, Golden State and Boston, hit more of the threes than the Mavericks. Boston's got like Mavericks seven do. rotation players shooting 40% from three. It's wild, It's unfair. Man. Yeah. It's yeah. unfair. Now, the Mavs are also 10-3 and three whenever they just hit at least 75% of their free throws. So it's not totally relying on the three ball, but it, it really is. Um, what's been the most pleasant surprise? Something that's happening that you maybe didn't expect. 
Josh Green. Josh Green is the easy answer, and he's been the easy answer for this one for weeks now. It seemed like now. you were kind of high on him coming into the year, though. Like, we did a roundtable in here, and it felt like everyone was sort of like, okay, I mean, let's see what he's got. I think we all expected another step that he would take this season, but it feels like he's taken about three steps forward. And for a third-year player to do that is, it's not something you should ever expect, right? Especially given, you know, he, he was good last season, or, or he broke into the rotation. Down the stretch, he was he was just fine, you know? Uh, there was too many games where he just kind of logged 12 to 15 minutes and maybe took a shot, had some good defensive plays. But overall, it felt like the energy that he was bringing was not channeled or focused to the extent that maybe it should be. And this season, that energy shows up every single play. And it, it's like he's he's an unmistakable presence on the court. And... All I thought this season, coming into the season, would that you know would be that he did more of that, and that there would still be games where he floated a little bit, and there's been so few stretches where that's actually been the case, and that's been really impressive to me. Feels like yeah, he, there's a lot more like harnessed chaos to his game, like it's really more like controlled chaos, but also there's quality too and skill, and then the. The question that I had about his game, like after the first whatever ten games of the year, was man, he's shooting well, but like, can he play like a bat out of hell in a game where he's getting thirty minutes? And the answer is yes. Like he's done that a few times now, so he just has he can just be at that gear and stay there for the whole game. Why do you think his last name is Green? He's the renewable energy source that the world needs. Getting political here on the radio, Tim. I see. I I just I just think that that you know if we hooked up a couple uh you know uh cords electrical cords to him you could charge you could you could run the entire AAC we could power the whole studio we really could uh conversely what's been the most unpleasant surprise something you expected to happen and it maybe hasn't yet I'm gonna make this about a player too but I guess I'll make it a little more broad than that I think JaVale McGee has been really disappointing and for him to be you know they had one avenue to make a free agency signing a, a large free agency signing and they used it on JaVale McGee and he has been disappointing. And I think broadly, the, what really sticks out about that is that as good as this team can be defensively when they're connected and moving you know, five players as one, we saw that last season, they can really make life difficult for other teams, but they do not have any truly dynamic defensive players like next level, all NBA, or all, all defense type players that stand out in that way. And I think that they're going to be limited because they just they don't have like a, you know, somebody who really change, changes even the geometry on the court. And that's what a really good defender does. Maxie's a very good defender. Dorian Finney-Smith is a very good defender. Uh, Reggie Bullock is, you know, an above-average defender. Um, Josh Green has been an above-average defender. Um, Luka can get steals and blocks. But this is still not a team that gets, uh, you know, that really deters opponents from getting to the rim. The way that they succeed is by just preventing teams from getting there with good rotations. But they don't have a, you know, a, a changing force on the court like that. They don't really have a changing force uh, on the perimeter uh, to the degree that the very, very best wing defenders in the league are. And so I, I think as, as good as this team can be defensively, they've been pretty good defensively this season. Um, now, the eye test will tell you that I think they've benefited from a lot of star players missing games that they've played in and that, you know, it, the eye test does, doesn't always match 
what you're actually seeing, what the stats are actually saying about them. But they've absolutely had good stretches. I just think that there is a, there's a cap, there's a ceiling, um, you know, there's a roof, you might even mm. say, on how good this team can be defensively because they don't have one of those players. And their attempt to sign one of those players, to sign someone that for 15 minutes could really scare teams at the rim, he hasn't been able to do that. Mm. Yeah, and now that kind of leaves them in a situation where they're having to lean more into offense, more minutes for Luka, Dinwiddie. Obviously, we saw that coming, but a lot more minutes for Dwight, a lot more minutes for Tim. I mean, we at the beginning of the year, we were thinking, like, is Dwight going to get, like, DNP'd regularly? And he was. Yeah, and now he's their starter, and then Tim is now in the starting lineup, and so that's four guys who on their best day are probably, like, league average defenders. You know, right. Luka can make steals, but, you know, they're not shutting anyone down. So now their best way to engineer stops or make teams uncomfortable is to send double teams. And when you do that, you leave the corner open or you leave somebody, someone else's open and they can get burned by that. So it's a, it's a dangerous game. Yeah, they punch above their weight, but there's only so far you can punch above, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would, what would make you confident that the Mavs, as we know them now, 55 games from now, they'll be where they want to be, which I would presume is top six, top four. Like what, what, what is their ceiling or roof? Are they one and the same? And then what about what you see from them makes you think that they can get there? Well, we've seen good signs. We've seen positive signs of the team is starting, you know, I think Jason Kidd is coaching them more pragmatically, especially with uh, regards to the rotations. You know, when players are hot, he's playing those players. Uh, he is leaning into the offense, like you said. I, I think there's no question that Jason Kidd is a defensive first type of coach, but he's realized that he doesn't quite have that um, ability to coach that team in this manner and to lean into what this team does best, I think is the right way to coach them for now. Um, you know, that, that includes Christian Wood getting more minutes uh, more, and, and more consistently being relied on, even if he's having a two of 10 shooting night. Um, just the, the idea that his presence out there is important for this team and what they're able to do and that it it you know amplifies the strengths of this team. And Doesn't so, that kind of go against though the ride in the hot hand? Or um, is there merit to like finding that more of a balance between? I think there's uh, yeah that's fair that's fair. I, I think that there are some players who have you know their presence on the court is important. And I think Reggie Bullock was a player who wasn't shooting well but kept getting minutes because of his presence as a defensive player. And now that he's struggling. Um, I think the, the presence of players that Jason Kidd is leaning towards is players like Christian Wood, who even if he's having a bad shooting night, you still have to guard him on the three-point line, and you, still have to, yeah, and, and you still have to you know, react to him in the short roll. If you're going to double-team Luka, Christian Wood is still the best player at catching at you know, the nail right at the free throw line and making a decision from there. Um, you know, we've seen Maxi struggle at that at times, and I think that you know, more and more we've, we've seen, and I, I suspect we will continue to see Christian Wood being someone pegged for that if that's the strategy teams are throwing at that's them. That's probably a new thing for him, too. I'm, I'm trying to think throughout his career, had he, has he ever overlapped with a player that was good enough to get double-teamed? Like, yeah, this like is probably nine games of James Harden, right? Yeah, that's, and this has got to be a new situation for him. Right, right, and so, you know, there's an adjustment there. Even at 27 years old or 28 years old, Still learning. I, I think that I think that's part of it. You know, when people talk about he has to adjust to winning basketball, like that's a great example of something that he has to adjust to. 
um, a star player on his team getting doubled and him now attacking a four on three court. That isn't something that happened a lot, if ever, throughout it his career. It seems easy, but the challenge is... He was the have, player getting doubled. Yeah, or like, you, as the guy that's manning this four on three now, you have like 0.2 seconds to make your decision. Otherwise, your advantage is gone. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, in, in previous stops, like I said, you know, he was the player being doubled, and because he was the focal point, you know, he would often have 16 seconds on the shot clock to get the ball, make a move, pass it out, now he's being used a lot more at the eight-second mark of the shot clock and, like, consistently being used in that way. And, yeah, that's an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Um, what lingering concern, what bad thing would lead you to believe that maybe they won't? Maybe they'll be a playing team or worse. Uh, things that are within the realm of, you know, reality. I'm not talking Luca tearing his knee or whatever. Like, let's something that's, like, you know, happening on the floor. Well, I, I think it is that... Um, while remaining realistic, there's only been one game that Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie combined have missed. Luca missed one game. He sat out one game. I and that game went horribly. You know, Very it bad. was it was a loss to the Rockets. Very bad. And so I think the question is, what does this team look like when one of those two main shot creators have to miss just the normal amount of time? The that other players example do. too, by the way, was Spencer getting in foul trouble against Toronto and things went off the rails immediately. Right. Right. Now, oddly enough, the game he got ejected from, now granted it was the fourth quarter, that one was all right. But it was also all right because you could just play Luka more. But if you're looking at a situation where Spencer Dinwiddie can't play an entire game, no, that's, that's, uh, that's different. And I still worry what the team's going to look like when this situation inevitably arises because it will. Yeah, it will. It's it happens ad- every season. Yeah, Luka has missed double-digit games, I think, in every game. Right. Or every season of his career. Uh, All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about some more specific players and get into some other wacky stuff here on The Ceiling is the Roof on Studio 41 Radio. Welcome back to The Ceiling is the Roof on Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak. I am Bobby Corella, joined by Tim Cato from The Athletic. Tim, is there anything from The Athletic that you would like to promote about yourself or about your work? Yeah, it's... So I think The Athletic made its name as a subscription site that, you know, if you've heard about it, you've certainly heard that, you know, we do a paywall so that you can get better quality journalism and stories and articles and reporting than, you know, another site is able to do. And and we have that freedom and that flexibility. What I would love to promote right now is that I also do a, a weekly podcast twice a week, 77 minutes, completely free. It is an athletic podcast, but it's, it's free. We talk a lot, a lot about uh, the stories that I write on The Athletic. And sure, you know, not everybody is, is going to be out here and, you know, listening to my voice and being like, oh, I'm going to pay money to read this guy. You're hearing my voice. But you can hear <laughs> my voice self-owned. twice a week uh, on 77 Minutes. And if you like the way that we talk about it and the stories we talk about, that's a great, to me, that's the best preview you can take for the stories that I write. And if you enjoy the podcast, then maybe you'll enjoy subscription or maybe you'll just gonna enjoy the podcast, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I would highly recommend everybody check it out. We publish Tuesdays and then a second episode on Thursdays or Fridays. And we just try to talk about, you know, the the first episode is more focused on the games that have happened. The second episode will find a format or we'll bring in a, a interview, but it's still gonna be a conversation. And that's the biggest thing is that 
where I'm, I'm not a show, you know, I, I don't want to have a podcast that just interviews people in that stale way that interviews sometimes go. I want to bring people on who can have conversations like you, Bobby Corrala. Yeah, I was uh, on last week, right? You were indeed. You were Good indeed. Times. And the I episode bring, didn't last 77 minutes, though. It was much shorter uh, than that. You know, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum, you know? It, it, but if you add up a bunch of the episodes... It could get in the... That's actually really They're actually smart. quite a bit more than 77 minutes. Yeah, that's true. But on a, on a weekly basis, yeah. about 77 minutes of podcasting. Give or take, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, it's a, it's a good strong So, yeah, check out, check out 77 minutes uh, every week. We've got a rotating cast of co-hosts and guests, and I'm always there. Spotify, iTunes... All of those things. Nice. And it's free. I love free stuff. I know you do. I love free stuff so much. Okay, let's get into uh, some more specific kind of player-oriented kinds of things uh, to to round out our time together here in the second segment. Um, So first, you know, in the the last segment, we we talked a little bit about, like, hot hand, sort of the, the, the pros and cons of going with hot hand versus more steady rotation. Now, the hottest hand on the Mavs right now is Tim Hardaway Jr., who, of course, really throughout his career, it feels like has been better as a starter than as a sub outside of really the back half of the 2020-21 season. He and Jalen Brunson both finished top five in six-man voting that year. But given how really transformative an impact he's made in the starting five, do you expect him to be the starter for the rest of the year? Or is this just a heater that Jake is going to ride out and then you know look maybe toward Reggie or somebody else if, if Tim cools off? I think that... He will probably start more games than he doesn't the rest of the season. But I do think that he's going to come off the bench. I do think that the starting lineup tweaks are not done. I don't think they should be. I don't think we're starting to, you know, we're, what, 23, 24 games in. We're starting mm-hmm. to get a sense of what this team is. But I don't think that it is so stable or so sure that there isn't room to keep you know, moving players around, moving players into the starting five, moving them out, and just seeing what the options are for this team. I, I think that we saw last season that Jason Kidd is a coach that wants to land on a fairly stable starting five. But I think over the next quarter of the season, the next 25 games or so, we're still going to see some, uh, you know, movement and switching of things around. And if Tim Hardaway Jr. keeps hitting five threes every night, yeah, he's probably going to stay in there. But at some point, we understand that he's an inconsistent player and that Tim Hardaway Jr. specifically, um, one thing, even as his three-pointer has come back, he's still really struggling inside the arc. He's, uh, you know, he's hitting the lowest two-point percentage of his career. And you know, think back to the Hardaway of a couple seasons ago. This was a guy who could pump fake and drive and dunk with some authority. He's got one dunk this year. That's um, really? One dunk. Wow. Last season... And he played, I believe, 42 games. Uh, he had about 15. Wow. So even, uh, you know, his injury, he had a lower body injury. Now, it wasn't muscular, and those are usually the ones that concern you. But he is turning 31 soon. There is a reasonable idea that his explosiveness, his athleticism, is starting to decline, as and anybody that the, age does. What, what was the injury that he had? Stress fracture uh, yeah, that this, he had surgery on, like, right. a, a couple years ago, a few years ago now. So that's, that's two now on his legs. Right. Exactly, exactly. So, so when you consider that, when you think about his age, and then when you look at the stats backing this up, I do think that he's becoming more of a three-point dependent player. And that doesn't mean that he can't still be valuable. We've seen how valuable he's been over the past you know, five or six games, over the past couple of weeks. But 
the idea that he is not as much of an all-around offensive threat for this team means that I do think he's still going to have more up-and-down, hot-and-cold performances. Just because on a night his three-point uh, three is not falling, he, he doesn't have as much ability to just put the ball on the ground, take a few dribbles, and you know really get to the rim. Makes them, especially if he's going to be playing a lot of more of his minutes against starting caliber players, exactly. starting caliber defenders. Uh, as far as kind of tinkering with the lineup goes, Jalen Brunson did not become the starting point guard last year or starting two guard, whatever you want to call it, until December 12th. That was whenever he, so right around this time, one year ago, is when he became your starter. And that was only because that's when Luka went out. Uh, the Mavs played in Indiana, and that was the last game Luka played for like three weeks. Jalen was your starter while he was out, and then he was good enough to maintain his starting spot once Luka came back. And so um, J-Kid is going to keep tinkering. He's going to keep moving around the pieces. And by the way, even though Jalen was starting at that time, Reggie Bullock was still coming off the bench. He didn't start starting until, what, January, right? After after Tim got hurt. Last season was a weird one because there was a lot of COVID, COVID absences, uh, health and safety protocol, a phrase that thankfully we just don't hear much anymore. Uh, I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah. But I think you bring up a good point in the, in the sense that Dallas hasn't really had any starters miss time, you know? And so I think that... Well, except for JaVale. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He's, he's missed a few games here and there, and he's, uh, he's, he's rested a couple times. Yeah. Um, I mean, but JaVale has gone to the bench, but Dorian Finney-Smith, Luca, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, these are not guys who have um, missed time. And again... I'm not, I'm not, you know, imagining worst case scenarios. I'm just imagining the typical four game injury absence that happens to players on all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's unavoidable. And at some point that's going to happen. And I think when that happens, that's when we're going to get the chain reaction of Jason Kidd needing to try different starting lineups. And if they go well, or if they perform poorly, I think we'll have a better answer as to what the starting lineup is going to look down the stretch. A couple guys that could, I don't want to say benefit because it is Sort of sad when guys get hurt, but a couple guys that could benefit from minutes opening up. One of them, Mavs just signed Kemba Walker. Seen what he can do in the past. Obviously, there's a lot of health situations uh, that have also unfolded in his past. Um, is he going to play? What's the word on him? Is is he going to be like a regular contributor, or is he going to be like a, a more of a Facundo Campasso come in the game if something bad happens? My understanding is he's a Campasso they trust more. There was games earlier this season that the Mavericks lost and you looked at the way the offense was playing and, you know, just how static it looked, how Luca was getting double teams thrown at him and the role players couldn't do much uh, to combat that. And there were games that were calling out for another ball handler and Kim Pazzo never came into the game. And I think Kimba Walker is still sort of in that role. Um, I'm sure at times he'll play a few games in a role uh, in a, in a row especially if he gets on a roll, because this is still a player capable of scoring 30-plus points. Um, I would be, it wouldn't shock me if, if he has, he's going to have at least a 20-point game in a, in a Mavericks uniform. But it's more than that. It's more, mostly that the next game that comes up where the team is just crying out for another ball handler, Kimball Walker is going to be coming off that bench in a way that Facundo Campazzo was not. Um, and then the other thing is the one we keep talking about. At some point, players will miss time. At some point, Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic, at, at worst, are, are going to have to rest. You know, they're going to have to sit out a game or here or there. Uh, neither of these players are going to play 82 games. Luka's already missed one. 
uh, just for resting reasons. And in those games, Kimball Walker is also going to be really important to this team to, you know, bring off the bench, maybe throw right into the starting lineup to keep it kind of similar. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches like doing that, and, and Jason Kidd is one of them. And he's, he's going to be important for those situations, but I think that just because his name is Kimball Walker, there shouldn't be any expectation that he's actually going to carve out 20 minutes a night for the rest of the season. Um, Yes, he's Kimball Walker, and yes, he's had a, you know, everybody knows who he is, but that's not the type of player he is at this point of his career. Fundamentally, there's a, obviously a huge difference between Kimba and Faku in the sense that Kampazzo is not going to go in and create his own shot a la Luca or Dinwiddie. He can facilitate and distribute, find open guys, push the tempo, play a little defense and all that stuff. But Kimba is much more similar to Dinwiddie and no one is really similar to Luca, but Luca in that he can hunt for his own shots. Exactly. And in the games that you're talking about where it's like, this is crying out for a guy that can just make something happen. Kimba is much more close to that guy than, than Faku ever has been really. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's his value on the roster for as long as he's on the roster this season. Uh, Jaden Hardy got recently uh, reassigned to the Texas legends. He's been with the Mavs a little bit. Now back with the with the Frisco team, and I'm sure he'll come up again at some point. The Legends have a couple weeks off here soon. Has he shown you, more importantly, has he shown the team that he's ready for minutes? I know fans are really, really wanting him to get in there. Um, is that a realistic thing soon, this season, this month, this year, next season? What is, what is the, the timeline looking like for Hardy, well, as far as you know? He's lighting up the G League, that's for sure. He's averaging 29 points down there. It's only been nine games. So let's not get too ahead of ourselves. If you know, if he spends a couple of weeks there and his numbers fall a little bit, and it turns out that he was, you know, just in a bit of a hot streak, it's not a bad thing. And and clearly, what he's showing is really impressive. But you know, maybe that's a sign that you know why he hasn't got into games yet. If he keeps that up, I, I think that there is some room to reevaluate what we think of him. I think that a team that went to the conference final is not expecting for a second round pick that they just drafted to factor into the rotation or even games really. But what Jaden Hardy is doing in the G League right now, I think shows that he was really undervalued in last year's draft. And if this is just what he's gonna average the rest of the year, if he's gonna be one of the leading scorers of the G League the rest of the season for as long as he's down there, he would have been, he would have been a lottery pick last season. I, I feel very confident about that. I'd heard that they really liked him after his workout here. Yes. But the some of the tape that I watched and obviously the numbers did not kind of really add up. You know, they didn't really right. match like the team's perception. And so was Dallas really, really actually high on him? Did they have a reason to believe that he could be this guy? Or was last year just like a weird COVID aberration, G League Ignite is kind of strange sort of thing? Like what is the explanation for for what's happening? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's young. He's, he's very young even for a, for a draft pick. You know, he's, he's recently 20, I want to say. Mm. Um, and I, I think there, there is a real argument that we just haven't adjusted to this G League Ignite path. And we don't have enough examples of players going this route. You know, he was, what, the fourth or fifth or sixth player Something who's, like that, who's yeah. gone this route. Other guys that have come from that program include Jonathan Kaminga, Dyson Daniels, uh, Pelican's really impressive rookie. He was teammates with Hardy. Um, Kuminga was teammates with Jalen Green in right. the Rockets. So there, right. there have been some uh, some higher profile so, guys. So maybe maybe what's happening here is that because this is so new, 
that Jaden Hardy could have gone to a D1 school, you know, a powerhouse, and he would have averaged the stats that would have made him a lottery pick. But because he immediately started playing against, you know, adults and uh, players that are NBA fringe players, you know, top 500, top 600 players uh, alive, that all of the struggles or all of the, you know, lowered stats that he had actually, you know, were in line with a player who could be a lottery pick, but we're just not accustomed to that yet. Um, so I think that's a scenario. To start this year, the Mavericks very clearly believe that he would spend most of his time in the G League. And I do think that they're starting to change their opinion a little bit. Jason Kidd has said that he deserves more minutes. Do you think that's because he's playing so well or because the team really needs... And I think it's a little bit of both of those. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, to, to uh, close the circle on a, on a point I was kind of making earlier. He's a second-round pick that came into a team that went to the conference finals. But there's both evidence that he should have gone higher and that the Mavericks are not quite the conference finalists they were last season, um, you know, especially with Jalen Brunson's departure. And if you, you know, calculate both of those factors, it's a lot easier to see someone who's a lottery pick or a fr you know, maybe a top 20 pick um, if the draft was done over breaking into a team that's trying to get a top six seed this season. And so because those factors have changed and because Hardy has played so well, I do think the Mavericks are starting to think, well, they're not going to rush it. They're not going to rush it because this development is the most important thing. But there is more uh, belief that at some point this season he can contribute. And I think he's going to get a chance. Um, you know, maybe it won't be this month. You know, maybe it won't be until 2023 that he gets you know, more than five minutes here or there. But I think he's going to get some chances and how he does with them, you know, will impact whether, you know, he's going to be more of a rotation player or, or like a true impact player the rest of the season or whether it is better for him to just continue developing in the G League, getting as many minutes in his rookie season as possible, no matter where those minutes are coming from. And, you know, just continue being on a path to a player that at some point very soon will be an impactful player for the Mavericks. It's always tricky to watch that to walk that tightrope as a hopeful contending team. So the Warriors win a championship last year, giving semi-significant minutes to like Kuminga, Moody, obviously Jordan Poole, sort of this next generation of Warriors. And then this year, like none of those guys are even playing for them anymore because like young guys are just real inconsistent, you know. So I agree with you. Bring them up when the time is right, and I think when the time is right, they'll know. You know, everyone will know. It'll just you'll just sort of feel it. It'll just feel good. Feel right. Um, so earlier this fall, the Mavs signed Maxi Kleba to an extension. Um, they did the same last year with Dorian Finney-Smith. Famously, they did not with Jalen Brunson for many reasons that everybody knows. Um, extension season is kind of right around the corner. It's really between this time of year, almost to the day, and the trade deadline where guys that are soon to be free agents are like, okay, am I sticking around here? Am I going to become a free agent? Am I going to be traded as an expiring contract? And so as teams sort of get in position to make moves, um, I can't talk about this, but you can, Tim. Should Mavs fans have any reason to expect extension talks with uh, potential pending free agents in Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, Reggie Bullock, and you know the, the Mavs have some minimum guys, but those three in particular who could all become unrestricted free agents this summer? I think that's a very good question, Bobby Carolla. I think um, maybe, no, and no. Okay. So, uh, Maybe on Wood, and then no on the others. Yes. Okay. I think I think Dwight Powell has been 
Um, I've written a lot about Dwight Powell and the way that he brought forward Dirk Nowitzki's work ethic and his value system to this team. When Dirk retired, Dwight Powell, in some ways, was a player who remained on the roster who brought that forward. So I think that there is no question he goes down as, you know, is legend too strong? He is a fundamental part of the Mavericks history book. But the Mavericks very clearly said last summer that they were trying to upgrade his position. They started the season with him on the bench, not even playing DMPs. And the main reason he's back in the rotation and doing well, and, you know, he is an above replacement level player, uh, but they want to, they want to improve that position. I don't think there's much chance that he extends unless, you know, it's on a deal that makes it clear that he is a bench player, you know, who's, who's only going to get into games as they continue tr- to try to improve this position, um, you know, when needed. And Which legally, I don't think they can, because I think in order to get an extension, exactly. you have to get a little bit of a raise. Exactly, right? exactly. I believe, I believe that's the case. And so, yeah, no, I would not ex- expect any sort of extension, uh, even specifically for that reason, uh, for Dwight Powell. Uh, Reggie Bullock, it feels like, um, you know, they're going to keep giving him minutes this season and getting him back to the player, closer to the player he was last season is important for this season. But it does really feel like Josh Green is starting to take that role and take it, you know, a, with, a, with a grip. and Grab the bull by the yeah. horns, as it were. And so Christian Wood is the question here. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great question. I think that uh, there's been a lot of discussion around Christian Wood so far this season. And it, 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 his role does make sense if you view him as the Spencer Dinwiddie replacement because Dinwiddie was the Brunson replacement. I know that Brunson went out and Christian Wood came in over the summer. And so there's some idea of like, oh, well, Christian Wood can replace Jalen Brunson's scoring. Really, he's replacing the Spencer Dinwiddie role because Dinwiddie has shifted up. And so the question is, how much does the team value that? Do they view a higher ceiling on him? And I think all the evidence points to no. You know, I I think that he does have value for this team this season. He's clearly had value. But I don't think there's a lot of signs that this team views him as some sort of second star next to Luka Doncic. I think that's probably fair. You know, like, we're talking, we're talking... The type of star you need next to Luka, um, like, this team is trying to win a title. And, you know, getting a player who kind of sometimes looks like a second star didn't work out with Chris Porzingis. And I don't think they're about to repeat that. And I don't know if there's a way that Christian Wood can be on this team if he's just kind of a third or fourth option. I don't know if he wants that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if people around him want that. And... So when you consider all of that, I, I do think it's probably a little bit unlikely that the Mavericks get any sort of extension with him. And that does beg the question. He's an expiring contract. Do you do something with that? Yeah, that's, try to get that's some a back? quick follow-up. We don't have a lot of time left. Right. But do the Mavs make a trade or multiple, like yes or no? Just what, what, are you, what do you think between now and the deadline two months from now? I think they make a trade, yeah. I, I think that there will be something that comes up that won't require them to use first-round picks and they're going to pull the trigger on it. But it, it may be something, you know, we hear trade, and I think fans get excited. It may be something really small and really more about, you know, managing salaries and cap sheets for the yeah, future. So they're getting a Hall of Famer. You heard it here first, folks. Absolutely. Yep, 100%. Um, Tim, thank you very much. Tim Cato from The Athletic. 
Check it out at theathletic.com. Also, 77 Minutes Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere else. Appreciate you, man. Coming up next, step into or step out of the corner three or into it with me and Katya on 97.1 The Freak.